The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. It's moments like that that I really wish I'd paid more attention in science. When I reached out to Jen, um, that, was, that was what I told her. Like, this, this kind of stuff is really, is really interesting to me because things like that... Um, like according to Romans 1, things like that demonstrate realities of, of who God is and how God functions. So when God is our catalyst, he never loses anything of himself, and we simply act different because of what he has, because of what he has done. We've talked all month long about what it means to be activated for God's mission. And last week we talked about the revelation from God was our invitation to join him. So God is the catalyst for us to join in on his mission. His revelation to us that he's, that he's doing something, that he's working in the world, that he's working in Scott's Bluff, that he's working in your neighborhood or he's working in your house. That revelation is our invitation to join him in what he is doing, to join him on his mission. And his mission is to seek and save the lost. And the reasons for that mission are pretty simple. Because God has made everything. God has made people. He's made us in his image and he loves us. And he has a desire for every single one of us in this room and in Scotts Bluff and in Gearing and all around the world. He has the desire for every single one of us to be in a, in a relationship with him, in that Romans 8 relationship where we are having life to the fullest. And that need is, is right here in front of us, and we know this. And um, we turn the TV on, and we see the things that are happening in the world. And God is revealing these things to us so that we would be involved in his mission and involved in his purpose. So last week we talked about what does it mean to follow his instruction? Well, he He told the disciples that the fields were ready, the harvest was ready, and what's needed are workers for the harvest. He told his disciples to pray for workers for the harvest. And a lot of times we we do that too. We we want someone to go, we want someone to serve, we want someone to love people who don't know him. But that's not all Jesus had in mind for his disciples, and it's not all he has in mind for us. This morning we're going to read quite a bit of text, beginning in Matthew 9, 35. We read a few of these verses last week. So we're going to read the rest of Matthew 9, then we're going to read all of Matthew 10. I want you to pay attention closely to what what Jesus is doing in these instructions. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, 
Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him. Jesus sent out the twelve disciples with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes or sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out not to be a worthy home, or if it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers about me. When you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you've reached all the towns of Israel. Students are not greater than their teachers, and slaves are not greater than their masters. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the rooftops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. 
If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, and you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Anyone who receives you receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you'll be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you'll receive a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples for a moment. Jesus has just told them that the, that the fields were ready for the harvest and they should pray for workers. They assumed then that that would be their next move, right? That we're going we're gonna to get together, we're going to have a prayer time um, as a body, we're going to pray for workers, right? They would schedule that for some time in the future. They would communicate it on Facebook and, and in the bulletin and the weekly email and all of the things that, that, that Jesus would communicate with so that we made sure that everyone would gather together and then we would all come together in this space and we would pray for workers and then we would all just go home because we have fulfilled what God has called us to do. Well, instead, Jesus gave them instructions about how they would be the workers. He told them how they would be the workers. And because we're not doing two-hour sermons yet, I only have ten points out of this text today. And they're all written in the bulletin for you, and I promise you that it will be okay. We will get out of here at our normal, at our normal time. But before I talk about the first one, I, I want to talk very briefly, very, very briefly about this initial instruction set that Jesus gives to his disciples We have to ask the question, so do we heal the sick? Do we raise the dead? Do we cure people with leprosy? Do we cast out demons? We talked about this in our staff meeting on Monday. Like, these are good and reasonable questions for us to ask. And here's a caution at the same time. I think it would be very easy for us to get wrapped up in those questions. It would be easy for us to go into our small groups this week and spend our entire small group time wondering, can we cast out demons? Do we heal the sick? Do we raise people from the dead? Like, we could talk about that our entire small group time. And the next week when we got together, since we didn't really answer the question, we could talk about it again that week too. And we could probably talk about those instructions every week in your small groups for the rest of the year. And I think the reality of that is when we do that, we miss what Jesus is saying to his disciples. We miss the larger picture of what he is doing in this text. I love the Luke version of this story. It's in in chapter 10. You can look at that later. But in in chapter 10, the, the disciples receive very similar instructions, and they come back to Jesus, and they they say something to the effect of, Hey, even the demons obeyed us. We did exactly what you told us to, and the demons obeyed us. This was amazing. This was incredible. And Jesus seems really less than impressed in what what they say. 
In 10.18 it says, Yes, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That was his response. Hey, demon, we just, Jesus, we just casted all these demons. And Jesus is like, yeah, big whoop, I saw Satan fall from heaven. If you want to be happy about something, if you want to rejoice about something, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. I don't want us to get caught on things that that take us away from what Jesus is trying to say. I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm not saying it's a fun discussion. I'm saying if you spend more than about eight and a half minutes on that in your small group this week, it's likely that you're going to miss what Jesus is telling you. You're going to miss the heart of what Jesus is telling you because this is about salvation. Jesus is revealing our mission to us. We don't want to get caught on one little part of it. And this is, this is our invitation to join him. So here's, here's the first thing that I found when I, when I read through this. We want to be generous. We want to give of what we have received. Jesus has given us freely salvation. He's offered that to us. And mercy and kindness and grace and love. And now we are able to give those things in the same way that we receive them. Freely. We are to give the message of Jesus generously. We are to share it. Here's the second thing that I saw. We want to be helpless. We don't want to take any gold or silver with us. We don't want to take any clothes with us. We don't want to take a walking stick with us. This is about fully depending on God and his people. That's what he's telling his disciples. Trust me. Trust the people of God that you are going to run into to take care of you. Don't take the normal things that you think you need on this trip. Trust me. And I love in John chapter 4, we talked about this last week, when Jesus met his disciples and, and he said, I'm not hungry after they asked him if, if he wanted to eat anything. And he said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. And I think that what we need to do when we hear Jesus say that, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God, we ought to ask the question, what nourishes me? What is nourishing me? What is filling me? What is giving me what I need? How am I submitting to the lordship of Jesus in my life? We want to be humble. We want to accept help from whomever it comes. In Luke's version, Jesus says this, eat and drink whatever they provide for you. Set your preferences aside. If they welcome you, great, bless them. If they don't, take off your shoes, shake the dust off your feet, and just, just walk out of town. You don't have to hop on Facebook and tell every, all of your 89 Facebook friends how badly you were treated by these people when you tried to proclaim the gospel to you. Okay? You don't have to do that. Shake the dust off your feet and leave. God's going to judge them, not you. God is going to judge them. It's not your issue. In the Old Testament, several times, when there are, when there are scenes like this, when, when the prophets are feeling rejected, they go to God and they share their 
sob story. They're rejecting me. They're not being nice to me. God says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So when, when we share the gospel with people and they, and they don't listen to us, like I'm a human being. Believe it or not, I actually have feelings. It may not seem like I have feelings sometimes, but I actually have feelings. And I don't like to be rejected. I don't, I don't like to feel that way. But the reality of it is, is, is they're rejecting God. They're not rejecting me. This, this can be so freeing for us. We want to be ready to be attacked. We want to be ready to be attacked. You're a sheep among wolves, is what Jesus is saying. So be shrewd as a snake. Looked up that word shrewd, because that, be, that can be kind of confusing. We might think that being shrewd is a, is a bad thing, and it's not. It means being wise and cautious. It means we make good choices. It means we are sort of calculating in what we do. And since I mentioned Facebook a second ago, I'm going to mention it again. I don't see a lot of people being shrewd on social media. I don't see a lot of people being wise and cautious in what gets said. There's very little shrewdness. But we also want to be as gentle as a dove in the midst of that. We want to be harmless. We want to be innocent. We want to be simple. And here's here's the reality. This is what Jesus is saying. When we act this way, when we are as shrewd as snakes and gentle as doves, here's, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be taken advantage of. When you act in the way that Jesus is causing us, calling us to act, you're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be hauled before the, the courts of public opinion, and you're going to be flogged, and you're going to be beaten. And, and that's not going to be enough, so, so you're going to go before kings as an accused person. And I see so many, so many Christians who go into the court of public opinion without a, the smallest bit of shrewdness or gentleness. It's like every single time we post something on social media, it's like full on, 99%. We're going to let everyone know the exact thing we think about every single thing in the entire world. And that is neither shrewd nor gentle. And when we do that, this is what Jesus is saying. This, this is how this applies to our context because this is not just for his disciples then. This is for his disciples now. When we do that, when we are full on 99 all the time, we completely lose the opportunity that we have to tell the world about Jesus because they don't want to listen to us. Think of all of the people, for those of you who are on social media, think of all of the people who you've simply unfollowed. You don't want to unfriend them because then they're going to know, right? So we don't want to do that. So we just unfollow somebody. Okay? I mean, that's what I do. I just unfollow people because I, I can't take the, just the constant onslaught. And when we, when we act in that way, we lose our ability to speak truth. We squander the opportunity that, uh, that someone is going to have to hear the gospel from us. So I would encourage you to be, to be shrewd and to be gentle. 
Also, this is in your notes, be unprepared. What Jesus said is don't have a big flowing speech prepared. If you are living in a true heart of joy and truly out of your life in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's, that's, the, that's the catalyst, right? It's just going to show. You don't have to have a flowing speech at the ready. You just have to live a life. Because when Jen poured the catalyst in the hydrogen peroxide, like, it was coming out. And for us, what God desires to do is, is to fill our lives with the Holy Spirit so, so people just know. We want to be unprepared. We want to be ready. Isn't this like the worst motivational speech in history? Like, just reading this, like, Jesus, what are you saying to all of these people? Like, this is not a halftime speech, okay? This is an honest speech. Jesus is saying, be ready to be hated. Be ready to be hated by your family. Be ready to be hated by your friends, by the nations. And here's, and here's the reality of all of this. We should never, ever, ever, if you're a Christian, you should never, ever, 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 ever be surprised when you're persecuted. Why would you be surprised? Why, why would it come as a shock to you that people are going to, to hate you for your message of mercy and grace and kindness and love? Why would that be a shock to you? And that's another thing. I didn't mean to make this a social media thing today, but it's just coming out of me. We act so shocked. We act so surprised. And I don't, I don't know, like, from what pit of, pit of hell this idea came out of that, that the Christian life was all lollipops and gumdrops. I, I don't know where that came from, but, but it's not from the Bible. It's not from the gospel. It's not from Jesus' words. We're not better than our teacher, Jesus. And, and, and he was hated for his message. He was called the prince of demons for his message. He was killed for his message. And, and if we're going to join him in his mission of seeking and saving a loss, and we're going to be like our teacher, then those things are going to like, it, the possibility exists that those things are going to happen to us, too. So, Christians, can, can we stop being surprised when people persecute us? Can we stop being surprised, like, when we stand up for a, a biblical truth and people, like, want to take us to court or, or some weird things happen? Can we just stop being surprised by that? Can we just chalk it up to being obedient to what God calls us to? And just like, you don't have to respond to every single thing on Facebook. Okay? You don't, we don't have to do that. We're going to be ready to be threatened. A day's coming when all things are going to be revealed. And when the harvest happens, you will know what kind of fruit you have. The text that we talked about in, in our small groups this week 
talked about how a um, farmer has a field and some workers, um, somebody sneaks into the, to the field at night and, and sows uh, weeds among, among the field, right? Next day, farmer wakes up, weeds are already, weeds are already growing, and the workers say, what do you want us to do about this? Should we go harvest it? Should we go pull those weeds out? And the farmer is like, no, just, just wait till the harvest. Just wait till the end. And one of the things we talked about in our, in our Tuesday night small group was the thought was that, that those weeds, the way they looked, mimicked the wheat. So when you're initially looking at that field, like you know that there's something off, you know that there's wheat among the weeds, but you don't know which ones the weeds are. So if you pull the wrong thing, you're pulling wheat, right? So what the farmer says is, wait until the harvest. That's when it's all going to be revealed. And then when it's revealed, then you pull the weeds out and you, you tie them up and you burn them. At some point, we're going to, like, this is all going to shake out for us. We're going to know who the wheat is and we're going to know who the weeds are. And it's going to be obvious. We're going to be ready to die. Here's, here's how I have this. The absolute worst thing that will happen to followers of Jesus who are living faithfully is that you'll be killed. Isn't that a wonderful Sunday morning thought? Put that on your coffee cup. Right? Think about it. The worst thing, the worst thing that will happen to any person in this room for living for their faith, the worst thing that will happen is you'll die. You'll be killed. You'll be murdered. It's the worst thing that can happen. What Jesus says is, yeah, don't really worry about that. If you want, if you want something to fear, fear the Father who, who can take your soul. See, God, God made us in his image. And he loves us and he cares about us. And you have value and you have purpose. And God is pouring that life into you so that you would pour into the lives of other people. And if you want to be concerned about anything, don't be worried about dying. If you want to be concerned about anything, be concerned about the way you acknowledge him in your life. If there's a concern to be had, be worried about how you acknowledge him in front of other people. Because what Jesus is saying here is, is pretty blunt. For the people that acknowledge me before men, I'm going to acknowledge them on judgment day. And for the ones who don't acknowledge me before men, I'm not going to acknowledge them. Because they have an opportunity to share me. And, and all around the world, there are Christians who are facing incredible persecution for standing up for the name of Jesus. And they're honored by that. The things that I've read about Christians who are, who are being persecuted, of course it's terrible, of course it's awful, of course no one wants to have that happen in their own lives, but 
But see, they recognize that there's an honor in that. That they have been counted worthy to suffer for Christ's name. And we talked about that in Acts a few years ago. When the disciples were released from the Sanhedrin early in the book of Acts, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of being persecuted for Jesus. And this is about our acknowledgement of him, our proclamation of him. Don't fear your family. Don't fear your family. There are certainly going to be some in your families that are, that are not interested in Jesus. And, and this, is what, this is what Jesus is saying, again, very bluntly. And if you choose them over him, you lose. If you choose them over him, you lose. And that sounds like we immediately default, I think, to, to like this really biz- bizarre scenario. Like there's going to be this big showdown in our house. And we're going to have to look at our family and we're going to say, I love Jesus more than you. I'm out of here. And like it's going to be, you know, then every Thanksgiving after that is going to be a disaster. Like we immediately default to the worst scenario in that situation. And I, and I think that probably happens. But I think, I think it more happens or, or really what that looks like is in some small ways. When our... About 20 years ago, I've shared a little bit about our, our story before, but about 20 years ago, after um, in, the, in the leading up to when John was born, we had both grown up in households where we were sprinkled as infants, and our, and our oldest two kids had been sprinkled as infants. And in the meantime, we, we, encountered, we encountered Scripture, we encountered the Bible, and through, through study and encouragement in small groups and all those kind of things, like, um, we knew that God was calling us, that we needed to be immersed. So our, our older two children were immersed, and we believed in baptism by immersion, believer baptism. We, we acknowledged all of those things. And yet, in the, in the lead-up to when John was going to be born, like, on one hand, we had everything that we believed, and on the other hand, we had this reality of this is going to be the only child in our family that we don't sprinkle, and we don't know what that means, and we don't know what to do with that. And we have family who they're still in those other, those other church environments. They're still going to have those expectations that we're going to have, have our, our baby immersed or our baby sprinkled. So what do we do? Like how do we live in the tension of that? So that was, as I shared, that was when we took up like six months worth of Sunday school classes and I asked every ridiculous question somebody could ask about why someone should or shouldn't be baptized because I wanted a way out. Okay, I didn't want to deal with the tension that was happening in our, in our family. And then when it came down to it, like, it was just a matter of obedience for us. So... It wasn't a big fight with, with my parents or Anne's parents. It wasn't like this big, this big argument that we had. But it was like, we had a choice. 
We had a choice. Are we going to be obedient to the things that God is calling us to, or are we going to be obedient to a tradition and a family? And I'm not maligning any of those things because, because there's a reason that God allowed us to have those experiences. And I think sometimes we're more worried about what our family thinks than what God thinks. And what Jesus is telling us here is we have to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. Also, he's telling us, don't be afraid of the death of self. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he is not just expecting us, he is not calling us to make a minor course correction in our life. Right? You know what a minor course correction is, right? It's like when you're using the GPS on your phone and it tells you there's one of three ways you can go to get somewhere and then you just start making weird turns and it's like it's trying to catch up to where you are and trying to get you back on course. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not calling us to make minor course corrections. He's calling us to die. He's calling us to die to ourselves. He's calling us to die to our preferences and our power and our place and our position. He's calling all of us to give up every single thing that we have and that we are for his name. Even the one thing that you just don't want to stop doing. The one thing that I don't want to stop doing, like he's calling me to give that up too. He's calling us to give up everything. Our comfort and our money and our time and our sense of peace. Our our rest, our desire to be right, our self-righteousness, our hatred of those who sin differently than we do, God is calling us to give up all of those things for him. And what he says is, you can, you can cling to those things all you want to. And if you hold on to them, you'll be, able to, you'll be unable to grasp what he is giving you. We must die to ourselves. We don't want to be afraid to receive him. Jesus is offering every single one of us so much, and don't miss out. Don't let yourself get in the way. You cannot out God's grace. There is nothing that anyone in this room has done that cannot be repented of, cannot be turned over, cannot be forgiven by Jesus. God has so much for you. And some of you right now are probably hearing this little voice in the back of your head. And the voice is saying, well, God really can't forgive that because John has no idea what he's talking about. Because John doesn't know who you are. John doesn't know what you've done. So what you can do is you can just set aside all of these things because God really can't forgive you. And that is just a bunch of garbage. There's nothing you can do to out God's grace. Nothing. There's nothing you have done. There's nothing you've said. There's not a way that you've treated someone. And what I would encourage you is, is to receive that. I would encourage you to not be afraid of receiving that. I would encourage you to not walk out of here today without receiving that. And here's the last thing that Jesus says to them. Don't be afraid to love people fully. 
Don't be afraid to love fully. There are people all around us, beginning with our family and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. What they need is, is to experience the compassion of Jesus. They don't need another person telling them how wrong they are. They don't need another argument on Facebook telling him how wrong they are. They need to receive our love. They need to receive our compassion. When we do that, we get to be the student who is like our teacher. And Jesus showed love and kindness and mercy and grace. And that's what he's calling us to be like. If we want to be like our teacher, then that's, that's what we get to do. Well, I don't know all of this for sure. I know enough about human nature. Like, I'm imagining at the end of this terrible motivational speech that Jesus has just given, as a human being, surely there was at least one of the disciples, and his name was probably Peter, who thought that Jesus was like, this could not be for real. There is no way, Jesus that this is what you're really calling us to. Can't you, can't you soften this a little bit? Can't you make it a little bit nicer for us? Can't you tone down all of this rhetoric that you're throwing out about acknowledging you? Can't you, can't you like be cool with all of this stuff? And I think as a human being, there are also some of us that hear these things and we read these things and we think the exact same thing, that Jesus is not serious. He can't possibly be like this. He can't possibly mean these things. I mean, when Jesus says, go and baptize and teach, like he's talking about, he's talking about the missionaries, right? He's talking about the people that, that we fund because, because I'm a sender, I'm not a goer. And, and what I want to do right now, so badly for you, is that there's a part of me that wants to say, I, I understand that. I understand that, that mindset. Because, because re- realistically, not all of us can go to Myanmar. Not all of us can go to Haiti. Like, that's just, that's a reality. But here's the thing. God is revealing his work to us. And, and these instructions, as much as they applied to, to disciples who, who were going to go all over the known world by the end of the book of Acts, as much as these verses apply to every single one of us, they apply to us in our community. They apply to us in the way that we talk to our friends and our neighbors and our enemies and the people we don't like and the people who vote differently than us and the people who sin differently than us. Like, this is who this is talking about. This is the way we are supposed to be. And God is is giving us Jesus and he's giving us the Holy Spirit as our catalyst to act. These... This text today answers the question, what does it mean for me to be a worker? How, how do I work? How am I going to work? Am I going to be a worker for myself, or am I going to be his worker? And as Shane said on Monday, this whole text is ultimately about the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
This text is about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Either Jesus is the Lord of my life, in which case I'm going to respond in a way that's consistent with him being the Lord of my life, or Jesus is not the Lord of my life. And we can't, we can't have it both ways. Are we going to trust him? Are we going to rest in him? Are we going to join him in his mission to seek and save the lost? Because this is what it entails. This is, this is what it looks like. And all of us are on mission. If you are serving today, would you go to, your, go to the back and be ready? In a few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to collect just our faith promise pledge cards. That's all right now that's all we're going to do in this in this first passing of the bags we're just going to collect our faith promise pledge cards. And I hope that you've used the last at least the last month if not longer than that to consider how how you're going to respond to what to what Jesus is calling you to in terms of your financial giving to, to Faith Promise and your financial giving to the missions that Westway Christian Church supports. I, I, I hope that you've been spending time in prayer about that. And like I shared last week, like when you look on the back of this, th- this is the revelation of what God is doing through, through Westway Christian Church in part in countries all around the world. God is revealing something to us. And since the revelation is the invitation, he's inviting us to be a part of it. So this is not, this is not like your general fund giving. This isn't a general fund pledge. This is just for the mission side. This is just for faith promise. So in a minute, we're going we're gonna to collect those. and Our mission is to seek and save the lost. The reason for the mission is because God loves us and he desires us to have a full life. Our need is here. It's here and it's out there and it's even in this room. There are people who have no idea who Jesus is. And the question is for us, will we join him in his mission? Will we be obedient? Will we accept this invitation? Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear, to hear your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to engage in Scripture. Thank you that it is powerful, that it's convicting. It's also kind and merciful and gracious, and it just tells us, it tells us what a life given over to you looks like. So God, we want to we respond to the invitation that you have given us. We want to respond not just in obedience. We don't want to just give to faith promise because we have to. We want to respond in love because you have loved us. Just as you have given salvation to every person in this room and made it available to the entire world, you've made that available for free. We now get to be generous in our response to that. So help us to be 
Help us to be generous. Help us to join you in the mission that you're on because there are people all around us who need to be sought out, sought after, and saved. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.